Clemson podcast. The last time we recorded, the price of gas was under $3, Bitcoin was at $51,000, and Georgia hadn't won a natty since 1980. Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Nick, here hosting the podcast for the first time since December. We've all been in a coma since that time frame. So to help us kind of make sense what's been going on in the world of college football in Clemson, we're bringing on a good friend out here from the Bay Area alumni group, Jarrett. Uh, Jarrett, we're going to need you to fill in some of the gaps over the last six months or so. Welcome on, though. Good to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Nick. Long-time listener, first-time caller. So just to give you a quick uh, summary of what's been going on. First of all, Clemson barely beat Iowa State in the Cheez-It Bowl. And then after that, Prince Chedward fed Dabo Cheez-Its right out of his hand, which was a little weird. Uh, Also, there's a war in Ukraine, and Georgia did win the Natty. So... Here we are. So we've woken up to a personal hellscape. Guess we're here to make some sense out of that. Did Dabo enjoy that experience? You know, I think Dabo is the kind of guy who is so happy to be there in the moment that it wouldn't surprise me if he has a framed photo of Jesus entering his mouth on his desk somewhere. Man, it's so true. And it's actually quite inspiring just how Dabo can find that, that happiness and enjoyment in basically any situation. Um, Cause a lot of other coaches would look at that, that game, that outcome being in that game, that outcome of the season and not have as happy a disposition as, as our coach Sweeney. So uh, again, inspiring. Um, I think we could all use a little bit of that, that joy in the everyday from Dabo. Yes. I mean, can you imagine Nick Saban being hand-fed Cheez-Its with anything other than, you know, a scowl? <laughs> Maybe if there were oatmeal cream pies, TV down from little Debbie herself, that might be, that'd be good to, to reenact. Um, mm-hmm. No, but I can't. I think that would be, that'd be unbelievable, actually. All right. Well, Jarrett, uh, thank you for coming on again. We, um, you know, again, you got to start somewhere coming off a hiatus here. So um, there's so many things we could talk about from a Clemson perspective going on this offseason. I think the, the one word I would use is just change. We've had lots of change come about. We knew going into the offseason with some of the coaching departures that we were going to have change. I think, Jared, a good place to start as we look ahead and try to make sense of what this 2022 team and season is going to pretend for Clemson is to take a look at what, are, what did we lose? Like what, is, what change is happening within the roster on the team? Uh, really mm-hmm. at this point, there are, used to be, it was like, oh, who graduated? Who got drafted um, in this era that we live in? You also need to look to the transfer portal. And at a 
program like Clemson tends to be about a one-way transfer portal situation, mm-hmm. at least so far. Um, so I think it would be good for us to kind of look at what, what went on with the drafts, with um, you know guys graduating, moving on from the team, um, and with the transfer portal. We had some guys leave before the end of last season, some guys depart this spring. Uh, we had one guy come in that we'll talk about, and then also we've had a couple of guys uh, with uncertain features in the program that I think are worth mentioning. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I think we get into it from a roster standpoint. And of course, like, I'd love to see where that leaves us um, and where, where you're feeling about, you know, certain position groups and aspects of the roster heading into this season, just in terms of your confidence in this, this team to do better than 2021, which I think was um, a little bit of a surprising step back for, for Clemson. Yeah, that's uh, like you said, there's a lot of change that's going on right now. 2021 was, you know, it was, it was hard to not like dissociate from all of a sudden looking at a four and three team after what we've gone through and what we've accomplished. You know, I think my freshman year was uh, 2010 and that was the last like losing season. Where we were six and seven with Kyle Parker. And I just remember, you know, since then, it's just been nothing but slowly increasing good times. But yeah, you know. That's, that's what we're here to do is cover this. And so since the draft, we can look and see who's gone. We can look at the transfer portal people. And I mean, I guess the draft is a good place to start. So um, yeah, let's do it. What, what, what was the biggest surprise out of the draft for you? Yeah, I think just having really honestly one Clemson Tiger drafted in this, in this class. Um, Balen's, so Andrew Booth went in the second round in Minnesota. Um, I would have expected actually him to be drafted a little ahead of that position, but he's going to be a good fit in Minnesota. I think everyone was picking him to be borderline first round. And mm-hmm. I think he's got enough, there are enough corners taken ahead of him that he can have that chip on the shoulder factor. Um, so I like that for Andrew Booth, but Balen Spector, he was drafted. Let's give him his credit by Buffalo, which is a great team at this point in the NFL. He went in the seventh round, which is the very last round. He was their last pick. Um, mm-hmm. But to only have those two guys go, in, you know, I, I won't say it was a stacked kind of senior departing class for Clemson, but um, I was surprised to not see Justin Ross and Mario Goodrich not come off the board uh, in, you know, in the first seven rounds of the draft, basically, even though they did end up on the rosters here. Um, that was a bit of a shock for me. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think this was the uh, worst draft year for Dabo since um, I think like Dion Kane and like only two other people went that one year. So yeah, um, Justin Ross to the, to the chiefs, which it's funny how now Pat Mahomes and Travis Kelsey are tweeting like amazement at watching Justin Ross play. So yeah, it's uh, it could be one of those things where he has this giant chip on her shoulder and, you know, makes his uh, makes his bacon or whatever that he's going to make out there. But the the fact is that like it's really tough to get drafted and it's even tougher when you have a history of injury like Ross had I mean phenomenal freshman year I think he had a hip pointer injury his sophomore year and then junior year of course had like the neck surgery was out for like 18 months and then you know allegedly had like some trouble with his foot and then he's playing out of position his last year so you know credits to him for getting the chance and I think he's going to make the most of it. Yeah, it's an awesome story uh, that he even got back on the field last year. Speaks to his toughness, perseverance, just mental mental positivity. And he stuck it out with Clemson as well. Mm-hmm. So I think um, 
you know, there's definitely a, a bit of loyalty there that, that he showed that I think we need to get back as fans. Uh, so wishing him nothing but the best above all health, but also just that he, he does get a chance to flash that talent. And, um, you know, with Tyreek Hill leaving the Chiefs, I think that's opening up some playmaking opportunity for Ross. He's not, I doubt he's going to be a day one starter there, but never know. And Andy Reid, um, you know, is a, is a high power uh, offensive mastermind. So that could be awesome. Um, <laughs> any, any other kind of draft, not surprises, but like where guys landed that you're, you're kind of hopeful for or looking to as, you know, that could be an interesting fit just from an NFL standpoint. Yeah. So I'm really curious to see how Mario Goodrich does in Philly, where especially he'll be playing with uh, Kayvon Wallace up there. So a little uh, Clemson secondary action going on. I think something not everyone knows about is that we actually had a surprise basketball player it was trying out and trying to make the team with Jacksonville and uh, I think it's Naz Bohannon. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, that's, does he make it? I know that's incredibly difficult to jump from one sport to the other, but um, yeah, Goodrich is good. You know, it's, I don't want to be negative, but you know, when I look at Nolan Turner and Galloway and Skowski, you know, I just remember how fun it was to watch bullwear. And then, you know, when he got to the pro level and it was just a completely different ball game. So, I mean, I'm hopeful for all the guys that, got a chance but uh, i think ross and goodrich probably have the best chance out of the undrafted free agents in my uneducated opinion i think too that year you mentioned about Deion kane going was actually the year that we had the power rangers coming back and mm-hmm. I, I think it's a similar story to this year like you could have seen xavier thomas go you could have seen tyler davis go into the draft those guys would have gotten drafted you know mm-hmm. injuries and other stuff aside like a team would have likely taken a shot on them so I'm not necessarily looking at this as like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, Clemson's not getting guys drafted. Is this a telltale of like a downturn in the program? I don't think <laughs> it is. I think it's just a matter of this next year is just going to be that much more stacked for Clemson. Uh, I mean, do you, am I crazy about that? Do you agree? Like, what do you think? No, I, I think you're, I think you're spot on. And um, next year, <clears throat> because you had those people that chose to came back, like, like XT, it's uh, and even KJ decided to stick around. You're really going to have, like you said, a lot of depth on the D line, and it's just it, the real question is going to be: Are the Avengers better than the Power Rangers? And you know, history points to the Power Rangers. You know, so we'll just have to see what they can do this year. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think the Power Rangers uh, benefited from probably offensive potency that I think we're a little skeptical of having in this year's team, but just from a straight up, you know, D talent and D output perspective, I, I, I think you're right. I think it's going to be an interesting uh, comparison when the dust. Yeah, and, and, and next year's NFL draft is going to be scary for like, you know, we got to make sure we're refilling that cupboard because you know, what's it going to look like if for Z and Davis and Henry and XT and like all these guys just all leap at the same time. You know, there's people behind them, but, you know, I'm sure we'll get to that, you know. Yeah, no, it's, it does look scary. And, you know, you could see, um, you could see guys, I mean, yeah, it's, the cupboards are a little bit bare on the D line and uh, the 2023 class is coming together. I think Jared, we ought to have quacking tiger on just to bring us up to speed on kind of what's going on with the depth chart and the 2023 class. But um, I, Let's focus on this year. Let's focus on kind of who's departed and, you know, who we still have around. 
Uh, but yeah, it's it's time to cherish yet another dominant Clemson D line that's coming coming together for this year's team. Um, didn't lose really anything from from that part of the team, you know, in this offseason. Um, no, none of the D line transferred out. I mean, we had some people. I don't know. Yeah, there's how many is that's like nine people transferred out. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't we get wow. into into the transfers? Because I, what I'd love to do is kind of take a look at both who was drafted, who departed, and then who departed from a transfer standpoint and just think about it from a position group perspective and like what to expect for the whole roster um, and where might sure. trouble spots be. Um, so the one everyone kind of remembers, Lynn J. Dixon opted to transfer. He was even before the red shirt. He had to invoke a red shirt this last year. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, he basically opted out of the season altogether. He's off to West Virginia, obviously running back. Frank Ladson and Joe Joe both wide receivers, both out, Ladson to Miami, JoJo, one of three Tigers transferring to USF, along with running back Mikey Dukes and Ray Thornton um, is going down there as well. Uh, as far as other kind of impact players, I would say Joseph Charleston, who came into Clemson as a safety, who's off to Mizzou, uh, that hurts from a depth perspective, I think, um, in that secondary, yeah. seeing Charleston head out. Uh, Kane Patterson, also from a linebacker depth standpoint, um, you know, he, he definitely played more of a platoon role there. He's going to Vanderbilt. Um, and then this will be a common theme. Uh, Paul Tio, offensive lineman is off to Georgia tech. I think just any, you know, Paul definitely didn't have a robust career at Clemson by any means, but he's, he's a guy that, you know, the, the team was able to get onto the field at points in the last couple of seasons. Um, we, we really can't afford to lose any snaps or any experience on the O-line. Um, and then the, Guy I haven't mentioned yet, Tyson Pumachan is off to Georgia Tech as well. So yeah, nine transfers out, um, you know, really across the team. I think this is, this doesn't concern me though too much. I don't think this is like a disturbing trend here, Jared. I think this is just a a matter of what happens with the transfer portal. And Mm -hmm. it's not like Dabo over signed any of these guys or did not give these guys their chance at cracking the top two at their Mm -hmm. respective position. Um, this is just kind of how, how football goes right now. Yeah, I, I agree. <clears throat> Obviously it's, uh, it's not great to, to lose people, especially losing nine people to the transfer portal when we're taking zero to one. And um, I think that with these people moving on, it maybe shows a little of how, you know, it used to be we were worried that Dabo wasn't going to kind of play the best person. He was going to play the most senior guy. And I think he's kind of learned over the years to just really put whoever in. Like Makuba, you know, started almost all year last year as a freshman. And so I think some of these more tenured guys like Dixon are, you know, starting to kind of feel that heat behind them like maybe they wouldn't have in the past. And, yeah, it's it's a new world with NIL and with transfer portals where, like, if you're not in that top two, it's it's super tempting to just, like, go for greener pastures. Absolutely. Right. Um, I think if you, if you did start to see five-star guys that did have playing experience um, and, and were likely to be starters in the near term future, transferring out for things like NIL deals or, mm-hmm. you know, not getting along with the coaching staff, things like that, that would be a little bit more of a, you know, a program concern point for me. But again, I don't mm-hmm. think any of these guys necessarily meet that that mark. Um, you could probably go micro into each of these situations and potentially find something, you know, with 
you know, something to report on that kind of thing. We haven't really heard anything. Um, right. I would say the biggest, I'd love to hear your take on this. The guy that I wish had really panned out from this list that I thought could have been a total stud for Clemson. Um, in addition to Charleston was probably Frank Latson. I'd say he's the one that yeah. I would say has regretted attrition the most. Um, mm -hmm. Never. I, I think it was probably more of an injury situation, but never really could live up to the promise um, of him coming onto the team. And his, his arrival kind of coincided with Jeff Scott leaving. So just from like a mm -hmm. development standpoint, um, we don't know what role that played, but he'd probably be my answer for that. Yeah, that's definitely, I mean, he, he showed plenty of flashes with Trevor when he was kind of the go-to guy, I think in like 20, early 2019 or 2020. And then he just kind of fell off and he would get injured. And um, yeah, I mean, props to Jeff Scott and these guys like poaching our, poaching our guys, but somebody for me who I kind of wish would have panned out was a Joe a Joe, because I remember in the fall leading up to it, I don't think there was any more hyped wide receiver than a Joe, a Joe reading like all the different stuff of like camp reports. And then during the games, it's like, he's not really blocking. He's, you know, they're not getting the ball and you know, all this Dropping it. stuff. So yeah, yeah, that was a really confusing for my end, but those, those are probably two. And I don't want to draw conclusions, but those are both in the wide receiver rooms. So, you know, you just hope it's not some kind of like cultural thing that's going in and in there. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, so if we, if we also take into account a couple of key injuries or departures, Hunter Rayburn, who, um, got some snaps at center this past season, looks like he's got a career ending injury, not going to try to rehab and come back. We wish him the best, um, and thank him for, you know, what he's contributed to the program. And then it looks like Mason Trotter is also out indefinitely undisclosed reason. Um, there's some speculation as to what, but, uh, Trotter and Rayburn both contributed meaningful snaps last year. If you include the Paul Tio departure here, Jarrett, um, mm -hmm. I think O-line, knowing, knowing how big of a, an Achilles heel that was for Clemson this last year, to see these three tenured guys not be able to be day one contributors to this team, going to be going to make it tricky. Um, don't know that. I mean, this is where we do hope Dabo is still able to use the transfer portal. Um, although I don't know if that that window is closed yet in terms of just like timelines and windows for um, when people can come in and register, but we will see. Uh, but anyway, I, I guess what I'm getting to is like when I look across all these departures and all the kind of position position groups on the roster that we're really feeling it. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, we didn't have guys go into the draft this year, but I think O-line is, is an area where where we're going to feel it. Yeah, I think we're all holding our breath every time we see a big man go down this fall and hope he pops right back up. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, we've got some good 2D depth and, you know, people, even the younger people like Marcus State that are coming along well and, um, you know, Walker Parks. So we've got talent at O-line, but when you lose three people in one year that transfer or they're out with injuries or, or anything like that, and then we're not being aggressive. I mean, we're not even like, we're kind of like sniffing around the portal a little bit, but um, uh, somebody needs to knock on Danny Pearman's door and wake him up from a nap yeah. so that we can, you know, at least scan some of these guys. Well, in Clemson, Clemson Twitter, which I know you're pretty active out there as well. Um, has any time there's a guy who puts his name in the portal. I feel like 10 mm -hmm. to 12 times this off season, 
I've seen Quacking Tiger or somebody else, mm-hmm. you know, come in with, with tweets talking about a guy that put his name in the portal. And I think that's what you're talking about with be aggressive. I think it's like, sure. Tamper, damn it. Get out there and be the reason <laughs> these guys are putting their name in the portal. Cause they know they have a first class ticket to death Valley. Yeah. And I, I obviously like, we're not on the inside, but it's like, it feels like we're, we might maybe send them an email saying like, Hey, we saw you're in the portal, but like, it feels like we're not doing any of that like elite level style recruiting in the transfer portal era well transfer uh athletes so right. yeah i think everyone is you know subtweeting all of these people with you know the different coaches twitter handles so that they'll maybe see this and hopefully like reach out to some of these kids but it's a you try not to be too uh orange tinted glasses but you won't you try to just say trust the process there's like part of you where you want to trust the process another part of you that's like no, damn it. Like we need O-linemen or we need, you know, whoever, whatever change we need. Yep. Um, I think the other group that stands out to me, I mean, we talked a little bit about a couple of, or really three receivers that have departed in Ross, Ladson, and Joe Joe. I'm less concerned with that one, Jarrett, as I am uh, the secondary. Uh, I think losing Booth, I think losing Goodrich, Turner, and, um, you know, to a lesser extent, I would say Thornton, and definitely Charleston, I feel like that that departure is taking a lot of meaningful talent and snaps away from this team. Um, now, I mean, it, you, you probably agree with the fact that these guys are talented and had a lot of experience. Do you feel like that's as big of attrition in terms of just impacted this year's team as the O-line is? So I, I think that they're both really significant and I think that luckily, like with the defense, you know, we're going to have a great front four, front seven that's athletic and it's going to be going after the quarterback causing havoc. So I think that can maybe um, kind of put off a little bit of that secondary question mark that we have going on with replacing Booth and um, replacing Goodrich. So um, I would say like that's something to be concerned about. But with the O-line, I just get concerned because like if you lose one or two, it's not like there's other parts of the offense, like, you know, having playing two tight ends or two running backs to kind of give extra blockers. Like, you know, it's a big difference of a, you know, 210 pound tight end trying to block versus a, you know, 305 pound, you know, offensive lineman trying to block. So, yeah. And we saw that not really work for Clemson this past year. I mean, I think we, we have evidence that having stuff to bend, but don't break or kind of throw at other teams. And it's not like we're playing, you know, a, a stacked slate of defensive lines across the ACC schedule, but still, I think Clemson still was not able to get the right protection against teams like Pitt against teams, even like Georgia tech last year. Um, Mm -hmm. And we really struggled late in games trying to protect leads or get those, get those game ceiling first downs. I mean, it felt like three, four games in a row, we needed the defense to come back on the field for one last game saving drive. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and I think like, yeah, you're, you're just setting yourself up for the, for more of that uh, with really thin um, O-line depth. Whereas I think with the secondary, I think I agree with you that having a, having a solid front seven um, likely will be able to mask over, you know, bringing on new guys with less experience in the backs in the back four um, just on the defensive side. And maybe the last thing I'll say, the O-line is also going to be under a new head coach who's also working with new coordinators um so just the the questions about 
in-game coaching and adjustments and continuity there are a little bit different than on the secondary where you've got Mickey Khan and uh, Mike Reed coming back and, you know, having, you know, that experience and continuity still be there in the coaching staff. Yeah. Especially for the, for the kids that are coming in new and um, getting developed. I think that's super key. So I think that's a good, we're in a good spot with the secondary. So I think we're pointing to the fact that we're all going to hold our breath as the O-line, you know, as we watch them this year. I guess, sure. This could be a good, good chance to pivot to some more of the change that we saw happen. We've already referred to Thomas Austin coming in to be the O-line coach this year. Plenty of other movement across the coaching staff, across the team. Um, turns out you, you told me in the, in the show notes coming in, um, you know, we've, we've filled out the coaching staff. Um, Dabo finally appointed co-OCs, Kyle Richardson and Brandon Streeter. And then we have uh, Wes Goodwin and Mickey Kahn splitting DC duties. Um, Todd Bates, you know, longtime staple of the defensive coaching staff under Brent Venables, what was initially retained at Clemson, elevated to the assistant head coach position, not given a DC tag at all. And then he quickly hightailed it to Norman, along with Miguel Chavis, who is a key assistant under Venables at Clemson. Um, so to lose those guys, I think you did lose a lot of kind of the culture and the recruiting and um, just a lot of that team building that brought the power Rangers together and that brought mm-hmm. the Avengers together here. Um, so it's going to be, you know, there are some question marks here in terms of, um, you know, kind of what goes on with Wes Goodwin at play calling, what can Mickey Khan do to keep that defensive identity together. Um, but I think bringing in a guy like Nick Eason to coach the defensive tackles, Super Bowl winner, Clemson alum, you know, larger than personality. personality. Yeah. Yeah. Like I feel I feel better about replacing, this is insane to say, but like I, I almost six months on feel better about the defensive coaching evolution here or, you know, mm-hmm. metamorphosis, you might call it. Um, and I think for me, just more questions exist on the offensive side, but so much of that is based on just what we get out of the O-line this year. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's it's for the defense. I do feel that even though there are some changes that we're in a good place and that, cause even I remember reading some of the spring, you know, reports coming out, like even the players were saying that they feel really comfortable with Goodwin and that there's, you know, fewer mistakes now. And I'm not, I don't want to know how to read into that. Cause I don't, you know, I've never played football and been in the practices. So I don't know what maybe he's like calling simpler stuff in practice or um, more on the details so it sounds like on the defense that they're going to be pretty much able to keep things going as it, as it's, as we're used to. Like you said, the big question is, you know, with Streeter taking over as OC and Richardson, you know, kind of sharing duties, maybe like a Tony Elliott, um, Jeff Scott kind of thing, you know, with Thomas Austin taking over the O-line with some fresh ideas and fresh perspectives. I think that's what we're maybe most excited about. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's the offense. It's the O-line. It's, can we catch the ball? Can we attack the middle of the field? Can we not be so conservative with play calling? So uh, the, the offense is, yeah, what we're probably going to be watching the most. What's funny too, Jared, I feel like from a short-term perspective, I think the offense has the most question marks for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I, but I almost feel good about talent acquisition. And I think Dabo's made the right call with hiring a passing coordinator who also mm-hmm. coaches tight ends. 
Uh, I think CJ Spiller is going to be good. Like I feel generally really good about, I think CJ Spiller is going to be an impactful um, running backs coach and he'll pick it up on the recruiting trail. I should clarify my comment. Um, so I feel, I feel almost better about the offense from a long-term perspective. I think defense recruiting is still the big question mark for me. And can we bring in that five-star talent in all three levels of the team? Um, the cupboards are indeed bare after this season. So the 2023 yeah. class is critical. Uh, but I think just from, if we're talking strictly the 2022 season and we, we will stop beating the O-line as the question mark drum here in a second. I, mm-hmm. I just think for me, that's the, I feel best about the D and I feel like the O has the most question marks. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, Streeter and Richardson have been able to work together here. Um, I, I don't think anyone should take anything away from the offensive performance at the spring game, because again, you had, you, we didn't have five offensive line starters playing together. You had a lot of getting into the three deep and getting into freshmen playing that I don't think that was an accurate representation. Meanwhile, they're going up, going up against senior world beaters on the D line. So, um, you know, go watch the spring game again, if you want to watch the orange and white play football, but I don't think that's going to be any, any kind of prediction of what you should expect in the fall. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And I think long-term is a great way to look at that where, you know, can we keep this continued success? I know that we, uh, COVID and like restricting visits and stuff had a big impact on, you know, we want to be face to face with people and, um, all that kind of stuff. I do believe that I think June 3rd, like next weekend is a big on-campus event for like a lot of recruits. So hopefully after next weekend, we kind of start to hear a lot more like chirping on, you know, crystal balls coming up and just different, you know, insights of who's actually kind of maybe leaning towards us. Cause even right now, our class for 2023 only has like a quarterback, a defensive end, I think uh, like a safety and, you know, maybe like one other, person so like we still yeah i think we had a tight end decommit i think we had a tight end decommit mm. recently that's right um so no, it makes me a little nervous yeah and then yeah. the land of the nil and uh the transfer portal combined it's uh you know anytime that we're not making progress in recruiting makes me nervous right because that is the foundation of future success and there are mm-hmm. enough macro changes happening in the sport that it's natural to just ask the question, like, can Clemson compete in this new world? And there's a couple of curveballs being thrown at Dabo and the coaching staff. And then we have a new athletic director as well, who's helping kind of navigate this situation. So um, I agree with you. I think it's, you know, uncharted territory for the most part. That is why, Jarrett, we're not going to speculate on what's going to happen with the recruits. Let's bring on Quacking Tiger, the expert, to kind of tell us of course. what to expect. Yeah. Um, all right, man. Well, uh, I mean, this is, I think this is a fair assessment of just kind of like who's bounced, what changes we've had from a coaching perspective. Um, clearly a lot of guys coming back from last year's team who were key contributors, a lot of guys coming back with question marks. Um, I'm going to let's, let's, let's get over the O-line thing. I'm going to tell you that the O-line is going to be productive. It's going to take a step forward. We'll stay healthy. That is going to be true. What what are the biggest question marks for you on offense if that is a constant? So if uh, if the, so say the offensive line's great, they produce yep. well. Yeah. I I still saw moments in the spring game 
where DJ's mechanics just looked like really bad. And I, again, I'm not a, I'm not a QT or, or Alex Craft or any of these guys that like really know the mechanics and stuff, but just, so if I notice it, that's how, you know, it's pretty bad. So I think, can he tighten up his mechanics? Can he, you know, process the defense at full speed? Those are probably top two. And then do we, attack the field and, and just kind of utilize what we have. I mean, I'm fine if we realize, you know, guys aren't going to be good over the middle or, or no one's kind of doing those jump ball catches. So as long as we adapt and don't try to force the same things or just try to be conservative for conservative sake, um, <clears throat> then, you know, those are kind of the things that I'll have my eye on, eye on the most if the O-line does well, which, hey, I'm team O-line now. You've convinced me. Yeah. Yeah, okay, good. Let's go big boys. I, Jared, I can tell a little bit of lingering PTSD from the Tony Elliott era of just conservative play calling and not utilizing the weapons and not laying mm-hmm. it all out there. I, just like with the O-line, definitely going to be great this year. I think we're going to see aggressive play calling and utilization of talent from the likes mm-hmm. of Streeter and Richardson. Like I would almost chalk play calling questions. I, I would kind of move that down my list of concerns. Now, can those guys get on the same page? Can they adjust to situations week to week where maybe our maybe DJ gets exploited and can they like yeah. you know, help help coach him through that? That remains to be seen. Can they themselves stay on the same page? And is there that, that like offense to defense handoff kind of continuity that they can figure out also? Like if they want to play with tempo, do we have the bodies and like the conditioning on the defensive side to kind of support that? Like, I think those are some of my coaching questions for these two guys. Um, what I would add to your list is probably just like of the remaining guys on the roster from the wide receiver perspective. I mean, what are we going to get out of the wide receiver room this year? And have we seen in the last two seasons, three seasons, any receiver kind of outplay his development or take a big leap from the one year to the next to the next? Um, I think we, we liked what we saw out of the Collins twins last year. Um, you know, there there's uh, Joe and Gata coming back and hopefully he's healthy to the point where with, you know, new coaching staff, new play calling coming through, you know, can, can we finally unlock his talent? Um, I think there's reason to be optimistic with the ride receiver room, but um, I think this is kind of a make it or break it year for Tyler Grisham as a coach. Yeah, there's, uh, there's, there's, there was definitely some head scratching moments when you would watch, you know, a lot of receivers not really block, not really follow through routes sometimes and just like drop balls. And so, yeah, that's coaching as well. So, you know, Grisham, you know, we love him, former Clemson guy, played in the NFL a little bit, you know, so we're hoping that he can kind of take that next step as a coach because you can have a great O-line quarterback with great mechanics, but if your receivers don't catch or they're not, you know, doing their assignment, then, you know, it kind of screws up your whole scheme. And if you're playing tempo, then you're three and out really quick. And then the defense is back out there again, which we've seen before. Yeah. Um, I think what we also haven't addressed yet, and I'll, we'll just touch on briefly and we can get out of here. Um, I think the plan B for this team, I feel like if, if, if the core play calling isn't working out, if you really need to rely on, you know, certain type of talent to bail you out, mm-hmm. I feel better about this year's backup plan than I did in 2021. And what I mean by that is both at the quarterback position and the depth that we have at, at running back. 
the depth mm -hmm. and then hopefully the health that we would have there. I think getting um, Will Shipley, getting Phil Maffa, and getting Kobe Pace that much more experience mm -hmm. and coming back on the field, um, those guys can kind of bail you out a little bit, and we can be you know multiple as an offense. And um, you know I feel pretty good about that. And then you mentioned DJ. I think this has been the biggest public talking point about Clemson. You know, if you listen to the national podcasts and um, kind of more like an ESPN, you know, follow their narrative of Clemson. They want to drum up a quarterback controversy. And we do have Kate Klubnick. I think you're going to hear a ton of references to 2018 with the Kelly Bryant, Trevor Lawrence situation. Um, I feel pretty good about Kate Klubnick being able to come in in relief of DJ if that's needed and or if there's an injury situation or whatever. Um, whereas last year, like we were threadbare at that position. Yeah, definitely. So that's a, it's a good point. Plan B is much, I feel better about it. As long as the O-line, you know, does well. And as long as everybody, you know, is kind of on the same page, then yeah. Plan B with potentially Cade as quarterback. I think you don't want to, you don't want to keep saying that early on that like, Oh, it's going to be the same thing, even though you know, maybe it starts to feel like that. We just got to let that play out. And DJ has all the talent to, you know, keep his job and to excel and to get drafted, you know, highly next year. Um, and having those three running backs behind him, I think gives a lot of experience, you know, with second, third, you know, plus year guys that are ready to bail him out, whether it's taking the ball. I mean, Shipley versus Pitt, where he was mad at himself because he dropped that you know, um, I can't remember if it was a wheel router. He was just running up the seam and just, uh, you know, had a touchdown, but he just dropped it. So, like, he's going to mature a lot. You know, a lot of these guys are going to be a lot of good weapons for us. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, there's even just talking with you about a lot of these names and, you know, what to think about um, gives me a lot of excitement for this season. I got to be mm -hmm. I got to be real with you. I think last year there was this okay, we're probably going to run the table in the ACC again. Like Ben was like, this is going to be such a boring season after Georgia. And I still have PTSD um, from Ben. Thanks, Ben. Yeah. Yeah. So I, like, I, I don't think any of us were pessimistic heading into last season. I think we had a ton of question marks about beating Georgia, but um, I don't know. I, I think then we, it just, it hit us throughout last season. I think we were kind of shell shocked during mm -hmm. the, like during what, what unfolded. Um, and it's easy, I think, to be just kind of pessimistic potentially about that and not really see, you know, too much to be optimistic about. But um, you got to look at getting a healthy Brian Brzee back. You got to look at just what that defensive line gives you. I think that's the first point of confidence people should be taking. But the, the playmakers and the talent on the team, I mean, there's a name that actually that people may forget about like Will Taylor is going to come back to the offense and look, he's yeah. not going to be, he's not going to lead the team in catches and yards and, and receptions or in touchdowns, but he, you know, he can break a couple and, you know, to have, have him be like your sixth or seventh most impactful offensive playmaker. Still a guy like that can help you a ton. And we just didn't have mm -hmm. a lot of those kind of opportunities this last year. So I say, it's just like all about perspective here. Um, yeah, we should expect to be, 12 and 0 or 11 and 1. I mean, I think that that is out, out there for this team if some of these questions play out like the offensive line. Um, there is a world where we, we drop a couple as well. But um, I, I like the matchups. I like, I like Clemson. I, I don't necessarily see any ACC teams that necessarily threaten us on both sides of the ball too, too much on the schedule. 
So at least as far as what, what little research I've done being in a coma and all. So I don't know, man, I'm, I'm increasingly optimistic. Yeah. I think that what we're doing right now is kind of shedding the weight of last year and all the trauma from watching the uh, ups and downs. And I think we're just, you know, people are leaving changes are happening with the coaches changes are happening with, with, with all through the program. So it's like, I think now we've kind of got it out of our system and we can really look forward to like being really optimistic for like, yeah, we do have so much talent on both sides of the ball and we have a history of like connecting that talent to success. So I think that 2022, we're just going to look back and go like, yeah, 21 was just a hiccup. I mean, I call me biased, but that's what I believe. Yeah, I think you're right. Then if we could just crack the 23 recruiting class, hopefully it will be, you know, not a, not a turbulent next couple of years after that. Yeah. I think with that will be, that'll take a, we'll be able to take a, uh, a big sigh of relief. If the 23 class starts coming together hard this uh, fall, then we know we're in a good place. Yeah. And if not, we could be in for either Dabo needing to completely change his philosophy on the portal mm-hmm. or Clemson, maybe taking a little bit of a step back nationally, which we should maybe all start getting prepared for, but I think that's even more reason to look to 2022 as a season to just cherish and appreciate. Uh, Cause yeah, this, this, this defense at the very least is going to look very much like the Clemson defenses that we've been used to seeing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. Cool. Jarrett, um, we'd love to have you back on the show here coming up soon. We appreciate you coming on. Um, where's Ben? Where's Cody? I don't know. They weren't able to join us, but uh, we'll get them back on soon. Plenty to discuss here coming up. Um, look, we, we're ending our hiatus a little bit early here in the offseason because there's so much to talk about. And, you know, there, there's a lot more to explore. Definitely want to get QT in for a recruiting update. We also, there's a lot of, you know, Clemson personalities out there that we want to get onto the podcast coming up. So um, stay tuned for that. Won't release any of those guests just yet, but, uh, you know, stay tuned. Thank you everyone for staying with us. If you're still subscribed, we appreciate that. Um, tell a friend, tell any friends that might've unsubscribed because we haven't published in a few months. We are back. We're going to keep it going now through, through the season and, and ongoing from there. But um, Jarrett, man, great insight as always. Great to talk to you. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thanks, Nick. I appreciate the uh, chance to be a part of this. I've been listening since probably 2017, 2016, something like that. So Yeah, it's an honor. And I'm glad that we can just kind of come out of this coma together and really start to look forward positively. And yeah, I'm excited for the season already. Just got to prevent Georgia from winning back to back. I think that's the, (laughs) that's the key. Nothing else. Yeah, exactly. All right, man. Well, thank you, Jarrett, once more. And as always, go Tigers.